Welcome to the Flight Safety Detectives. Hosts John Golia and Greg Fife, two of the world's most respected aviation safety experts, talk all things related to aviation and aerospace. This podcast and the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel are brought to you by the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, PAMA, and Avemco Insurance, a world-class provider of aviation insurance and your one-stop for all general aviation insurance needs. Get a customized quote at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Tell them you're a listener of the show and receive a 5% discount. Now it's time to buckle up because it's wheels up for the latest episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Well, hello, gentlemen. It is another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. It's always good to see you guys. Um, I'm uh, yeah. back in Denver just for a short time. I've been down in Arizona and California working on a number of accidents, and I'm going to be doing some flying. I got to go back. So I came home to, uh, to see both of your smiling faces and to, uh, to knock out a podcast. So how are you guys doing? I know, John, you're getting, well, even, no, John's not, but you are, Todd, getting ready for a blizzard. Oh, yeah, about a foot and a half tomorrow. So if you're flying, please don't fly to Boston. And I hope you got your shoveling shoes on. I got the shoveling shoes. I got shoveling gloves. I got three different shovels and lots of milk. (laughs) Uh, Sounds like a snowblower would be in order for you. Uh, Or a strong back from a younger child, but... uh, (laughs) The child somehow or another didn't want to hang out with us. So, you know, I'm a host. Yeah, what's in it for him? <laughs> Home cooking, but that's not good enough this time. No. Yep. And no. John, all you're doing is shoveling sand down there, huh? That's right. I escaped to, to uh, mid-Florida. Uh, most of you know my daughter's got a and family, other family members as well, have places in West Palm Beach. So I'm running around down here enjoying the the warmer than boston but all the natives i run into down here are moaning about how cold it's been i mean they don't like it in 65 to 70 i thought i, I thought this was paradise <laughs> when i left boston it was minus one so i'm happy well good well we uh we had a show where we talked about the fact that the airlines have um have now taken out the uh, the requirement of a college degree and I thought we had a pretty good discussion because, uh, of course, we got some pretty good feedback from our listeners and viewers about uh, that particular subject. And there were some emotional uh, comments. There were some factual comments. And it is of interest um, now that uh, United Airlines has uh, formally opened its uh, United Aviate Academy down in Goodyear, Arizona. They had basically uh, a PR little campaign and we're talking about their particular uh, operation. And it, it, is, it is striking because they do put the prices, the, uh, they say that if you have zero flight time, you know, we're gonna pay for your private pilot certificate, but then the instrument, the commercial, the commercial single, commercial multi, and your CFIs, um, they all have a, a pretty solid price breakdown that I can get the flight training in, in most cases, I don't have to spend $18,000 for an instrument rating, 
or $17,000 for a commercial rating. Um, and I know that you always get what you pay for because we've talked about it as well. But if you're just saying that these guys can go anywhere and get a certificate and accumulate the flight time and apply to the airline without any other uh, filter in there, then why would I go to their training academy and pay that kind of money when I can get all those ratings and to get my time and apply if I meet their qualifications? In reviewing the Aviate Academy uh, information, one thing that I was looking for was, well, gee, these prices seem a bit high for these various certificates and ratings. Does it include living expenses? Yeah. I didn't see any inclusion of that. So that might be on top of all that. And they don't take you through your ATP. They take you up through a commercial. And there is an interesting note that says, congratulations, you've made it through spending all this money, 70 to $80,000 at the United Aviate Academy, but you still don't have enough time to meet the quals for an ATP. So you can either stay here and work here to accumulate those hours as a CFI, or why don't you go to one of our partners? One of our partners includes a variety of different colleges and universities, where I guess they expect you to be a flight instructor at the college or university. The thing that's kind of ironic is we talked about this. You don't need a college degree to go through your program, but now you want, to, you want me to go to a college or a university and be a flight instructor there to accumulate my time. I, I, I don't understand that one. John, I know that we have friends at Embry-Riddle and other places. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting piece. All right, so I can make an argument on either side of that the seventeen or eighteen thousand dollars for the commercial or the instrument, right? If they provide a level of support and monitoring and uh, help, help educational help, not not help money, uh, putting the discipline and the knowledge into the program. Right. So what you want to have at the end of the day is a pilot coming out. It knows what the hell he's doing. It has the discipline to, to maintain the policies and procedures that, that all pilots have to abide by in a commercial environment and be uh, able to demonstrate that they can live under the discipline that airlines like United require of their employees and especially of their flight crews. So there's a whole piece that's not spoken about in what's there. If it is provided, if United really does take a hands-on approach through that school and provide uh, their management types from their flight departments to come in periodically and help the, these uh, would-be students, these people that are, that, are, that are coming in, and especially the women and minorities. I mean, I'm big on, on bringing uh, both of those groups into aviation. If you come to my competition, you will see and Todd can talk to this firsthand, you can see what we do to try to help these, these uh, segments of our society that have not been uh, uh, involved in aviation for various and assorted reasons. And we try to break down those, those reasons to make it uh, very helpful for them to, to join us in aviation. Uh, I'm hoping United does the same thing with the school. They talk the talk initially uh, and I hope they follow through with it because it's something that we really need to happen in aviation. 
Well, it's going to be real interesting. It's going to be really interesting. I mean, because they do have some other partners. They have some uh, other flight school partners as well as um, partners in the 135 and, and regional carriers. And I understand all that, but um, nobody's going to be flying for an, an airline, even if it's a regional, until you have that ATP. So that means you're either going to have to flight instruct at the university partner or flight instruct at one of these other flight school partners that they've discussed. And it's interesting that they wouldn't take you through your ATP um, through the academy, given that that is really the qualifier that's going to get you into one of their airplanes. And the one of the things that also struck me is that this might be a fine program. But unlike colleges and universities, or even technical schools, where there's some sort of layer of, how should I say it, uh, authorities that are independent that rate whether or not you meet certain standards. What is the standard for an ab initio program like this? Why is this better or worse or just the same as going to Vaughn College or going to Embry-Riddle or going to the University of North Dakota? And at the end of the day, if the quality of the what you learn is the same, that's great. But uh, who's saying that other than United? Yeah. In fact, I don't even know if they're saying that that clearly. I think it's implied. I don't know that they're saying that that as clearly as you just delineated it. So that is a concern. And it may be a fine program, but if you're sitting there as either a young person or and the aviate program even said, hey, do you have a young person, 17-year-old who's interested in aviation? You can contact us too. If you're helping the young person in your life plan their career, uh, this is a fairly significant step. Sure, you can go to a college and the argument might be, well, the college might be all in costs on the order of a quarter million to a third of a million dollars. And this is the case even with some of the aviation academies. I think John was mentioning before we started that Vaughn College, where he's had a long-term association, the all-in cost before scholarships and everything for four years is on the order of a quarter million dollars. And for almost any private university in the United States, the all-in cost would be in that ballpark, several hundred thousand dollars, third of a million dollars, call it what you will. So that's a significant uh, chunk of change. This is on the order of, by United's uh, numbers, around 70,000, not even including living expenses and such. So the all-in cost might be six figures as well, that you, the student, the aviate student, has to pay because past the private pilot certificate, they are going to be responsible for paying back those loans. Yeah, and they do talk about loans and, and loan programs. The other thing, of course, is like any flight training program, whether it's at a university or an independent facility, uh, you can't cut it, you get washed out. And, and so now the question is, what is the washout qualification? Because we are all in the safety business and John and I have investigated, I don't know how many accidents over our careers where pilots, where it's been very obvious that people that call themselves pilots are in an airplane that have crashed an airplane when it's all said and done, it's obvious they should have never been in that airplane. It was a pay to play. Um, they were marginally qualified, yet they were turned loose. And, and so now it's that standardization. If, if United has a high standard and if you don't meet that high standard, you get washed out, that's great. Would you get washed out 
at mom and pop's flight school or even in a university or college program. So where and who's gonna draw that standard to determine the quality? Because we always talk about the quality, not quantity, but quality of that person acting as pilot in command. And, and, and Washington it's gonna be real interesting. And washing out of a program can mean several things. It could be lack of competence, it could be lack of maturity, it could be life decisions. And let's take the college or university example. Let's say you're going to some university for a couple of years, and for whatever reason, you have job or entrepreneurial opportunities, you make personal decisions, you're no longer there. One of the social advantages of having been through a formal educational institution is that you can say in your resume, yes, I attended college XYZ for X number of years. Now, anyone looking between the lines would, would read that as, oh, this person went to college but didn't graduate. That doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing, but it does mean above everything else, this person went through the college experience. So there's certain assumptions you can make, whether or not that person came out with a credential or not, that they had that experience. Out on the street, yeah. who knows what United Aviate is? Sure, it might 30 years from now be a well-recognized entity, but if you did this next year, went into the program for a year and went out, how much is that going to be worth to the next employer that you were in United ABA? Yeah. Well, I don't think it, I don't think it would be worth any more than being down at Joe's flying service. I mean, it's really, there's no formal education behind it. So the, the discipline is, uh, we, we, the three of us are assuming here based on what we read that uh, there is going to be some discipline behind it, but there's no guarantee of that because yeah. in between you and United is a third party uh, school. Uh, I mean, United will be crazy if they didn't do it any other way. Uh, so United is gonna be in there pitching uh, pieces of this program, but they're not gonna be the main one responsible for it. And like you said, you don't get uh, one year, two years of college education to put on your resume. You get to be, I flew with Harry for, for six months and, uh, and then I ran out of money, which is usually what happens in the in the small flying schools. There was one at the at right up here that I was very, I was uh, my office was just above their office, and uh, and uh, a lot of these guys didn't wash out, but they just took forever to move to the next step because money slowed down. And uh, you know, if you're flying only once a month uh, with instruction. Uh, that's a tough way to get through the program because you forget more than you than uh, you remember over the the off times. So it's very hard to become a, a move forward in a in a flight program if you're not doing it uh, at least once a week. And I so think the, one of the biggest points that we all made in our discussion, and I've always believed this, is about the plan B, and education is usually the best plan B when you're a pilot. You can't hold a medical, you can't fly. What's your plan B? Um, you know, you get temporarily, you have a, some sort of medical condition that puts you on the ground for six, eight, 10 months. What's your plan B other than disability if you, if you qualify for it? So, uh, you know, that's the, the importance of the education part. Can you translate practical experience to get a different job other than the lowest level uh, burger flipper at the, at the local restaurant? Yes, you could, but going in and having a formal education that you can stand behind with a college degree, and it doesn't necessarily need to be an aviation oriented degree. 
Um, I know a lot of guys that are flying that have English degrees and literature degrees and a bunch of other things. That doesn't make them any less smart as a pilot, but at least it, it has a commitment of four years of having to gone through a formal education program so that if somebody is looking to hire you as even maybe an entry-level manager, they wanna see more or less that formal type structured program versus, well, I worked flipping hamburgers for 15 years, that makes me a manager. Well, not necessarily. So, uh, you know, and, and again, I, I like this kind of program that United is doing. It's kind of like uh, playing baseball. You got the minor leagues. You're bringing someone up through your system so they understand your organizational philosophy, the structure, the discipline, the expectations, so that um, you, know, you can progress all the way up through the various levels of, of playing ball and getting to the big show, which is the ultimate goal, like it is flying for a legacy carrier in one of those legacy airplanes. Um, and one thing you can say about baseball, whether you love it, hate it, follow it closely, it has a certain structure, certain levels. And over time, you can figure out what's the likelihood you will start as a very, very hot prospect in high school and actually get, let's say, to the triple A AA or double A level where you're one step away from going to the big show. You may or may not get there, but it's a long haul doing a whole lot of work before you even get to one step below. Yeah. This program is brand new. There's no data they're putting out there. And no guarantee they're putting out there saying, hey, you know, if 100 of you folks show up, maybe 20 of you folks will be in the airline with us. And maybe 60 will be in some other part of aviation and 20 will be, you know, completely doing something else. Those statistics don't exist right now. So unlike, let's say, a college or university, where you can at least compare what's the six-year graduation rate from University X, Y versus Z? What's the cost of going through four to six years at X, Y, or Z? you can make a logical choice. Well, it's a risk, but it's worth taking for this college over here, but not this one over here. We have a, what, a group of one right now. To my knowledge, this is the only major carrier in the U.S. that has a program, even this structure, and it's a fairly new program. So uh, again, one of the risks is how good is it going to get? Yeah. We don't yeah. know. We'll have to give it a chance, and I'm not saying that you know, just because, uh, you know, you're formal educated, I'm working three accidents right now, all involving doctors whose skill levels in their respective airplanes are being challenged. They, they were outstanding individuals in their respective medical craft. But when it came to flying airplanes, all three of them are dead. And, and their qualifications as a pilot, their judgment, their decision-making, their operational skills as a pilot are in question, even though they were outstanding in their field of medicine. So I'm not saying that education is the end all, but it is a, a good trap line, a good filter to get the best qualified and possibly you know, uh, the best candidates early on, especially as you're nurturing them in a program. And then of course, um, um, getting them into that mindset of a very structured and disciplined program um, like we've talked about. Well, uh, switching gears, gentlemen, John, I know that uh, you've gotten a lot of feedback again and it, it's cyclic in our show. Early on in our earlier shows, we were 
constantly when the uh, coronavirus is out there, we were talking about wearing masks and, and the, uh, the safety briefings on, on airlines because I noticed that the flight attendants weren't talking about oxygen mask versus the, uh, the virus mask, if you will. And we got off of that subject for a long time, but now we're seeing <laughs> the aviation version of road rage in the cabins. You got defiant people who aren't wearing masks, don't wanna wear masks, are belligerent, causing fights, stirring up the pot, if you will. And of course, now we've got airplanes that are being turned back by pilots because they don't wanna put up with it anymore. Yeah, we just had one uh, here in Florida. It was all over the press here uh, just a few days ago. Uh, a flight, American flight coming out of Miami on its way to London was out an hour out and uh, actually more than an hour out. And uh, they had, a, I believe it was a woman making a big fuss, not wanting to wear a mask. And uh, the flight attendants reported it to the captain and the captain just said, I've had enough turned around and came back, canceled the flight. They rebooked everybody else. And uh, she's now on the no-fly list uh, for America, which should be expanded nationwide to all carriers. Yeah. I mean, uh, these people need to be uh, you know, taken out of the air. It's, it's really disruptive. It's, it's really risky for the other passengers. And to themselves, but if they want to be stupid to themselves, they can go be stupid. But the other passengers don't deserve to be treated like that. They have nothing to do with that's this individual. So it's really, it's really getting out of hand. And we've seen some cases where other passengers have actually vented their frustration, and it's turned into fisticuffs on the airplane. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's going to come. We saw. Remember when we had the problem with people that were storming the cockpit door after 9-11? Yeah. And we, and we actually had that crew, I think it was a Southwest airline, where the passengers took control, control of, of one person and they kept him in, a, in a, some sort of a, a chokehold of some kind yeah. and he died. Yes. All right. Uh, is that what it's going to take? Because after that, it seems like it, we didn't have a lot of those, those problems. But is that what it's going to take to get some of these people to smarten up? I mean, well, again, you, you have this belligerent attitude, uh, a lack of respect for, you know, your fellow passenger. And you have a, a, just a, an unbelievable disrespect for those people who have the responsibility of enforcing a mandate that, you know, they didn't create. It's a federal mandate to wear a mask on an airplane, period. The flight attendants can't change it. The pilots can't change it. And you're nobody special to change it. And if you're going to fly on an airplane, then fly on an airplane with a high level of respect and don't take it out on your fellow passengers and flight crew who can't change it. If you don't want to wear a mask, then go ride a bus. But And there's a, another cultural, a couple of cultural things going on here as well. One being that the three of us here understand very clearly that when it comes to aviation, what happens to the sky is under the control of the federal government, federal regulations, federal rules, et cetera, has been for decades. There's no question there. And we live in different places, different cities, different states. And we know that when it comes to a lot of things, from whether you can carry a gun or whether you wear a mask, things are varied. 
Some passengers, in my opinion, simply don't have that understanding of there is a radical difference for some things when it comes to aviation and not aviation. Uh, and we don't, not going to go into the whole gun thing, but that's been an ongoing thing for years where you have folks inadvertently bringing loaded pistols and unloaded pistols through security. And of course, that's forbidden on the federal level. But on the state level, there are a lot of places where you can legally even have a uh, open carry in the terminal, but just not in a secure area. So again, this is a, a three level of education, regulation, and incarceration. Yeah. And you know, the education and regulation isn't working when it comes to bad behavior around masks. Maybe we have to go to the next step. Well, incarceration plus, if I divert that flight because I'm an idiot and it costs that airline 50, 60, $70,000, then that person who led to the disruption and of course the divert, they should get a nice hefty bill from the airline for all of that. Um, that'll discourage them once they get out of jail and they have to get a job to pay for it. So, well, gents, I'm going to uh, open up a, <laughs> a little discussion with one of our segments that we call From the WTF Files. Oh, yes, WTF. And with that WTF file, of course, here is the question I have for you two gentlemen. There was an incident recently involving a Pilatus PC-12, single engine turboprop, single pilot, taxiing at an airport in North Carolina during the day. The pilot, as he's taxiing to, uh, to the runway to take off, sees a coyote on the taxiway and proceeds to try to veer the aircraft around the coyote. Unfortunately, the aircraft went off the side of the taxiway, struck a sign and did some damage to that $4 million airplane. So my question to you, do you hit the sign or do you take out the coyote? Well, when I thought about this, I flashback to growing up in Texas, where I learned how to drive. And one of the dangers driving in Texas, even around major cities, is you might run across a deer in the middle of the night. So what do you do when you come across a deer driving on the road at night? Well, I was taught to first kill the lights, then hit the brakes. I have that imprinted in my memory from youth. Now, if I'm in an airplane and have not thought about what about a coyote, what about a deer, my emotional reaction might be kill the lights and hit the brake. But I'm in a Pilatus or a Cessna or whatever. What do I do? There'll be that moment of confusion, which is just long enough for you to do something that's not optimal. John? Uh, you know, likewise, growing up in the Northeast where we have moose that oftentimes find their way on the road, you learn that you're not going to hit the moose because they stand so tall, they're going to come through the windshield, not hit your fenders. So yeah, you have to pay attention to what you're going to hit. But as far as wildlife strikes on the airport, I'm going to run that sucker over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am not going to take to the weeds because, <laughs> A, you don't know what's in the weeds. You know, is there a culvert there, whatever. It could, you could break your airplane and have a fire. So hitting the sign and doing damage is one thing. 
but it could it could cascade to much worse. And I'd rather pick a spot on the landing gear on the side of the airplane away from the propeller and strike that that critter and uh, and live with the damage to the airplane rather than taking off into the weeds. What about that reptilian part of your brain where the first image that comes up hits that reptilian part? And that's the part that says, oh, that coyote looks like a cute little doggy. Whatever logic you have might go right out the window. You might veer because you don't want to hit that cute little doggy looking thing. That's true. That is true. But if I have a second or two to think about it, I'm going to think about a nice fur jacket. <laughs> and with that, we are going to... <laughs> with that, we're going to call it a wrap. For this episode of uh, for this episode of Flight Safety Detectives, Mister Furcoat. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, right. gents, it's always good to see. You. I look forward to seeing you next week when I get back um, after doing some uh, flight training out in California, and we will have lots to talk about. Uh, we're going to probably dissect an accident next week. I've got some things I want to talk about based on my trip. Um, working these accidents right now that I'm concerned about. And, um, and so uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you both next week for our next episode of Flight Safety Detectives. So Todd, with that, I will, uh, I will give you almost the final last words before I turn it over to John. Oh my, lions and tigers and bears and moose and coyote. Uh, fur jacket and coyotes. Project. Who knows what kind of menagerie of stories we'll have next week, but we will have stories. Good. Mostly true stories, especially ones coming from John. Of course. I, I'll share with you all the hate mail I get after throwing that little tidbit out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll say what I always say to everybody. In this era of COVID, if you haven't flown in a while, please fly with somebody who has. Don't assume that Yesterday's skills are still sharp. And if you are going to go flying, please do a great job of pre-planning before you even leave your house. And when you get to the airport, I'm going to redo most of it again, but then do a very thorough pre-flight. If you're concerned about not doing a very thorough pre-flight, get a mechanic to help you look at the things that are important to that particular type of airplane. And when you go flying, please fly safely. I want you to come back and write me hate mail. <laughs> to listen or watch more episodes of this show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com, the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. To contact John and Greg about the show, send them an email at FlightSafetyDetectives at gmail.com. And remember, for aviation insurance needs, contact Avemco Insurance at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Mention Flight Safety Detectives and receive a 5% discount. Thanks for listening to the Flight Safety Detectives, and remember to always fly safe. <laughs>